Welcome to Sound Waves at St. Bede's, a weekly podcast of St. Bede's Episcopal Church in Los Angeles, California, a vibrant and inclusive community of faith serving Venice, Playa Vista, Mar Vista, Ocean Park, Santa Monica, and beyond. Each week, Sound Waves features the sermon from last week's Sunday's worship services. In addition, as often as possible, we share selections from the extraordinary St. Bede's music program update our listeners on church news, and convey the stories of our faith as we live out our baptismal covenant. As always, we invite you to worship with us at St. Bede's on Sundays at 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. Additional information and directions to our church campus can be found on our website, stbedesla.org, S-T-B-E-D-E-S-L-A.org. Thank you for listening. May the love of Christ be with you today and always. This morning, I want to start with a story about a famous monastery that had fallen in hard times due to the lack of leadership, vision, and a sense of urgency. Formerly, many of its buildings were filled with young monks and young aspirants, but now it's mostly deserted. People no longer came there to be nourished by prayer and worship, and only a handful of monks shuffled through the cloisters, serving God with heavy and joyless hearts. On the edge of the monastery was a small hut that a rabbi had built. And from time to time, the rabbi would come out there to the hut to fast and pray. And when that happened, word would spread quickly throughout the monastery that the rabbi was out there. But no one visited the rabbi. They left him alone. Until one day, the abbot of the monastery decided that his heart was too heavy and he needed to seek the counsel of someone who might understand some of the journey that he's going through as the leader of this monastery. So he goes and wanders out to this hut looking for this rabbi. And amazingly, as he came upon the hut, it was as if the rabbi was expecting him. He was standing right outside with his arms wide open, welcoming the abbot as he approached. And they embraced like long-lost brothers. And they entered into the hut, and there in the middle of the hut was a simple wood table, and on it was a book of Scripture that was open to particular sets of passages. And they sat there for a few moments with each other in the presence of the Scripture, in the presence of the Holy, quietly reflecting and meditating. And then the rabbi began to weep. And the abbot could not control himself, and he too began to weep, and he covered his face with his hands. For the first time ever in his life, the abbot recalls, is he wept so hard that he just felt like he was weeping out his entire heart. 
And the two men sat there like lost children, filling the hut with their shared pain and tears and this prayer to God. But soon the tears ceased and all was quiet. And they spent time praying upon the Scriptures. And when the moment had come for the abbot to leave, he looked at the rabbi and said, is there anything you can tell me to help save my dying order and this monastery that is crumbling? And the rabbi lifted up his head and looked at his colleague and said, your brothers are serving God with a very heavy heart. And you've come to get some type of teaching from me. I'll give you a teaching and I'll repeat it to you and then you can only repeat it once. After that, no one must ever say it out aloud again. And the rabbi looked straight at the abbot and said, the Messiah is among you. For a while it was silent and then the rabbi looked up and said, now you must go. And the abbot left the hut and nothing was said. Didn't even look back. The following day, the abbot called all the brothers together in chapter and the fellow monks were eager to learn what the abbot had spoken to the rabbi about. What did the rabbi say? The abbot was reserved and he said, well, the rabbi was great, but he really couldn't help us. We just wept together and read Holy Scripture but when I left, he did say something that has piqued my interest, and I share it with you. He said, the Messiah is one of us. The monks were startled. What did this mean? And the Messiah is one of us. In the days and weeks that followed, the old monks pondered this and wondered whether there was any possible significance and truth to the rabbi's words. Is the Messiah one of us? Could he possibly meant one of us here in the monastery? One of us monks. And if so, who could it be? It must be the abbot. Father Abbot is so gracefully leading us. He's most, most holy. He must be the one that the rabbi is talking about. But wait a minute. What about Brother Thomas? Brother Thomas is a holy man. Oh, did he meet Brother John? Brother John's so cranky. But to think about it, he's always right. But he didn't certainly mean Brother Philip. Brother Philip is so passive, an honest nobody. But if you think about it, Brother Philip is always there for us whenever we need him. Or did the rabbi mean me? Could it possibly mean that I am the Messiah? Oh, please don't let it be me. Please. I couldn't be that much for others. Could I? They were deeply 
puzzled by the rabbi's teaching. But no one ever mentioned it again as instructed. And as they each contemplated this matter, the old monks began to treat each other with extraordinary respect on the off chance that one among them might just be the Messiah. And off the off chance that each monk himself might be the Messiah, they began to treat themselves with extraordinary respect. Renewed by this spirit, the monks began to work on projects that were long overdue when the monastery was in decline. Each building began to be rebuilt. Each ministry began to be restarted. Each endeavor was an opportunity to celebrate the gift of the Messiah being among them. Within a few years, the monastery had become once again this thriving order and a vibrant community center. This morning, our scripture lessons are filled with plenty of blessings and woes, or curses, as some may say. It might be fair to say our lives can be described through a constant lens of blessings and woes. Some extraordinary, but most rather ordinary. Both the prophet Jeremiah and the psalmist remind us that regardless of what life offers to us and what we offer to life, the best life is a rooted life. The best life is a rooted life. If we can be anything, we ought to be a tree grounded near the source of water that sustains us and that empowers us to grow. What grounds us? What sustains us? What empowers us? Jesus' ministry is taking root in Luke's sixth chapter this morning. We see a rock star Jesus. Since he called Simon from his boat and commissioned him to be the disciple that would fish for people. What's happened between Simon's call and this morning's passage? Jesus has cleansed a leopard, he's healed a paralytic, and he has yet again busted through traditional norms by calling a tax collector, Levi, to be one of his disciples. A tax collector. Those bottom-dwelling, trash-eating piranha of the Israelite society, and Jesus called one of them? A tax collector? Jesus has returned from an overnight retreat on the mountaintop. And when he comes down the next day, Jesus elevates 12 disciples to be apostles. Someone asked this week in Bible and Breakfast, what's the difference between an apostle and a disciple? Well, the apostles 
means one who's a messenger, literally sent out. As apostles, they will not only follow him as a disciple would and does, but one day these apostles, these 12 apostles, would become the face and the hands and the feet of Christ's ministry in the world. It's the most inner of circles within Jesus' disciples. Our Gospel reading this morning describes that a great crowd has gathered on a plain. Apostles, a large group of disciples, and a multitude of people have joined Jesus. Many in the multitude swarm Jesus. That's why I call them a rock star. They're swarming Him as if it was like a concert, hoping to be healed of diseases and cured of unclean spirits. Amid the chaotic scene, Jesus pauses, looks at His newly minted apostles and disciples, and He begins to preach. Blessed are you, woe to you, they hear. This sermon is intended primarily for Jesus' inner circle, not the multitude of people that are swarming Jesus. Luke 7 tells us the concluding verse of the sermon after Jesus had finished all of this, his sayings, in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. The crowd, that multitude of people, overhear Jesus' words to his disciples and apostles. Jesus' sermon has a particular audience and a particular purpose in mind. The sermon on the plain is a message with a vision. A vision for the future of the Christian church. It's a strategic plan. It's a statement of ethics. It's a code of conduct. And it is also a cautionary tale. That is what we hear in this morning's portion of the Sermon on the Plain. Woe to you who are full now, you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. Woe to you. Many faithful and good people have been stirred and even confused by Jesus' woe statements for centuries. From the earliest days, think about it, in Sunday school, the church has misled us to believe that Jesus' woe statements are intended to be a curse. Polarization is not a new art form, despite what we feel these days. If you have blessings, you ought to have also curses, right? Not really. Not really. Jesus is neither blessing nor cursing those who hear these words. This morning, our English translation provides us a disservice, especially regarding Jesus' woe statements. 
To woe is not to curse. Instead, to woe is to demand awareness. Demand awareness. Jesus demands that those within His inner circle, those closest to Him, those most entrusted with the future of the message, need to be relentlessly aware. Aware of those things that might separate the faithful from God. Awareness is a life skill. Awareness is an art. Awareness is a spiritual practice. Our existence, physically, emotionally, and spiritually, demands that we live in a constant state of awareness. Have you ever been to London, England, and tried to cross a busy street? In the United States, the cars come from our left. But if you're in England, the cars come from the right. If you aren't aware of your surroundings and the different rules in London, your European holiday will come to a quick and painful end on the front end of a red double-decker bus. Look down and make sure you look the way it's telling you to look. You need to be aware. In our journey through life, awareness is essential, if not mandatory. Monasteries crumble when monks stop being aware. Churches decline and die out when congregations lose focus and become unaware. Ministries flame out. Relationships break down when we fail to be aware. People starve when we lose the hunger to be aware. Pain and suffering become the status quo when we don't have the audacity to be aware. Awareness means that we are rooted in what grounds us, rooted in what sustains us, and rooted in what empowers us. So as we take this next step, as we look to be a congregation that rises like a phoenix from this pandemic, as we focus our attention on the future of St. Bede's and our transition to calling a next rector, as we our own selves look for ways to grow spiritually, May we have the strength and courage 
to be aware of the Messiah that is in everyone. The Messiah is among us right here at St. Bede's. One of us could be the Messiah. Amen.
St. Beads. If you want to learn more about St. Beads, we invite you to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at St. Beads LA. If you like Soundwaves, please leave us a review on Apple iTunes. Our worship services on Sunday are at 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. Wherever you are in your spiritual journey, you are welcome at St. Beads. Additional information and directions to our church campus can be found on our website, stbeadsla.org, S-T-B-E-D-E-S-L-A.org. Thank you again for listening, and may you be blessed this day and every day by God's unconditional love and eternal grace.